the dirty secrets of product operations is that in many ways it is product management. Hi, I'm your host, Magali Pellissier, and I'm a product manager. Welcome to Product Perspectives, the podcast for product people that gives a voice to their stakeholders. Each week, I show you the other side of a product. I interview the people who contribute to making products a success. They are engineers, writers, marketers, support analysts, UX designers, or even salespeople. Not only will I give them the credit they deserve, but we will uncover what makes a good product and a good product manager from their perspective. Stakeholder management is a key skill for product managers. So just as you are obsessed with listening to your customers, let's hear from your stakeholders. My guest today is Rachel Spurrier. She is a product education and operations lead at Pico and a content writer at Merit. Throughout her nine years in tech, she's worked as a data architect, research analyst, implementation manager, program manager, and even product manager. Thank you very much for joining me today, Rachel. You work in product operations, and that means different things depending on the company, its size, its culture. So could you tell me what product ops means at Pico? Yes, absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. Product operations at Pico is really, it's more cross-functional than I think other product operations roles. So I've heard about product operations being very focused on the stack of tools that product management uses or setting up processes for user research. That was actually a role that I interviewed for. It would have been very heavily focused on helping them coordinate user interviews and collate insights from those interviews. At Pico, because the organization is smaller, it's two product managers and one director of product management. I end up doing a lot of work that is a little bit of everything everywhere. So I do help with things like how are we going to create and maintain a roadmap? How are we going to ensure that other teams know what types of releases are coming up? How do we create a strong cross-functional relationship with engineering and with marketing and with sales? But it's much more qualitative than it is quantitative. I also do just general operations work. One team is transitioning. We're going from intercom to Zendesk and there wasn't anyone to project manage it because it's a small company. So I raised my hand and said, yeah, sure, I can do that. And one of the nice benefits of my background, having worked across a lot of different functions, is it makes it a little bit easier for me to just sort of fill gaps whenever it's needed. So there seem to be a mix of operational things like facilitating the work of product management, but also project-based activities. It's more day-to-day activities. Right now, for example, I'm working on helping develop a cross-departmental alignment meeting. And normally, probably someone closer to maybe a chief of staff or higher up in operations would do that. But really, since so much of the work is focused on product development and delivery, that ends up being product operations, sort of helping figure out how are we actually going to make this into a repeatable, scalable process. The thing with smaller startups is it's very easy at first to just say, okay, well, we can figure out everything ad hoc, but you hit that threshold of just enough people where you start needing to say, okay, well, we need to maybe make this more streamlined or more repeatable. Where do these projects come from? Do they come from the CEO or is there another person in the management team who is driving this change and this new type of operations? So originally when I worked at Pico, I was a senior product manager and I ended up taking a little bit of a break from the tech world. And when I decided I was ready to 
re-enter, dip my toes back in the water, I pitched them on product operations. They said, hey, rather than product management, which focuses a lot on the why, what is the strategy behind what we're building? Why are we going to focus on this particular vision? I'm here. I can help you facilitate the how. How are those decisions made? Who's in the room? What are the artifacts that are recorded to help things move more smoothly? So individual projects sort of crop up depending on maybe off the record, it's really chaotic and everything just sort of is like, oh, all of a sudden I learn about this project. Okay, well, what are we going to do now? So really it's my identifying areas that I think probably could use someone to help move it along, then it's necessarily someone telling me that I need to do it. I report directly to the CEO, but we only meet once every other week. So it's a lot of self-directed, like, I'm going to help out with this now. And if someone tells me no, then I'll stop. And I guess you're taking these ideas from your background because you've worked as a data architect, as a research analyst, implementation manager, program manager, and even product manager, actually. So what does all this wealth of experience bring you for this role in product operations? It brings me, I think, an empathy for what different roles face. And the other thing that I've been lucky enough is to work at a variety of companies in tech across industries and across stages. So I've worked at a pre-series A company and I've worked at a post-series D company, which those operational challenges are huge worlds apart. So what I really enjoy about this role in product operations is I know what it's like to be the product manager and to have a million decisions on my plate every day, to be the one who gets blamed when it's failed and the person who's supposed to pass along the credit when it succeeds. And the fact that really, if you're doing everything a product manager is supposed to do, I think Marty Kagan said you should be working 60 hour weeks. But at the same time, I know what it's like to be on the other side of the table saying, but the product manager isn't telling me what's happening or the product manager doesn't understand that I can't do my job to communicate with this client unless this change is made. And I think that it it helps facilitate those conversations to be able to have kind of a 360 degree view of what everybody cares about. I think that that's one of the things that's really challenging, not just as a product manager, but really in any organization, understanding why a stakeholder is asking the questions that they're asking. In previous roles, I've been thinking, why does this person keep asking about this one specific aspect? That's not important. And then I realized, oh, to them, it is really important. So I need to be able to meet them where they are. I think what's really important, even if it's tough, is having an executive sponsor for any given change. So do you think there's a particular background which is better for running product operations? What kind of skills are required to work in product operations? I think that having worked as a product manager is definitely useful. But I also think having been in some form of project or program management helps, which if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of product management ends up being project management, even if we don't like to say that. And I think that product operations benefits from having some analytics background of being able to think about what metrics are important or what outcomes do we want to be driving One of the dirty secrets of product operations is that in many ways it is product management, because if you're going to propose a change to the way that someone does their job, you will need their buy-in. And so a lot of my job ends up being essentially stakeholder meetings where I try to uncover what the pain points are in doing their day-to-day jobs, whether that's a product manager or an engineer, and then 
hypothesizing, okay, well, if we change this aspect of their workflow, maybe that will make their lives easier, but then proposing it to them and receiving their buy-in rather than it being this lateral, hey, product operations is telling you how to do your job differently. Exactly. And that's the main challenge I've witnessed is that PMs and people in general find it difficult to adopt new processes. So how do you make sure the processes that you design in product ops work for these people and that you get this? I think that it is, like I mentioned, that kind of, I heard C. Tom Lombardo refer to it in terms of creating roadmaps as shuttle diplomacy, where I end up talking to each person who's going to be affected by the change, or at the very least, product manager, the engineering manager, and the tech lead, as well as probably the head of the department to get sort of that soft buy-in. And then I think what's really important even if it's tough, is having an executive sponsor for any given change. So in a previous life as a product manager, I actually worked on a localization project for Québécois French. And all of a sudden, every single product team had to ensure that any copy change that they made had to be translated into French before it hit production. That was a huge changed the way that people worked. They did not like it and they were not happy with me, but it was a legal requirement that we had to meet. And eventually we had to lean on the chief product officer to help us say, this is a thing you have to do now. And that's not necessarily product operations, but it is important to, for example, I work very closely with the director of product at Pico, even though I don't report to him directly. And a lot of this is brainstorming with him, something that he thinks will work for his team. So it's a little bit of laterally understanding the pain points, but also working with leadership of whichever teams will be affected to ensure that you have their buy-in. Talking about leadership, you said you report to the CEO, but you also mentioned there is a chief product officer. So how come you don't report to the chief product officer? And what do you think about that? Does it work? What's the best way to set up an organization? I think that there's not one right way to do it. I interviewed for an organization where I would have reported to the chief product officer and not to the director of product. And the reasoning for that particular chief product officer, he said, if product operations has some impact on the way product managers do their job, if they report into the product management work, they probably will actually have a lot harder time having any of their suggestions or their proposals adopted. Whereas reporting directly to the chief product officer puts product operations on the same footing as product management as its own discipline. So at Pico, I report to the CEO, but I collaborate with the director of product. Okay. And talking about having those initiatives that you're working on adopted, can you tell me the story of one of the main challenges you've had, one initiative that was really hard for other PMs to adopt? I can talk about some failures that I've had and then very simple successes. I think that it's very easy to see the long-term vision of where you want to go and immediately say, here are all of the changes that we've made. And what I've learned the hard way is to make the changes incrementally. So for example, there's been a strong need for other teams like our success team or our account management team or our marketing teams to understand what's being released ahead of time. And that's repeatedly not happened. And the idea was, well, we'll have this launch calendar with all of the dates that will where these certain features will be available. Well, guess what? We missed every date. And we all of the documentation that we had asked from the product management engineering teams didn't get created ahead of time. And I thought that's too many changes at once. So a much lower left change I made was teams were not holding retros 
And I'm a big fan of retros as a part of continuous learning, creating a psychological safe space for teens to bond and be able to share what's going on within the group. So I said, hey, it's only 45 minutes to an hour every two weeks. We'll be able to talk about what challenges you're facing and then track our progress over time. And that actually, because it was a low lift ask, and I actually couched it in, if you don't like it, we can either change how we do this or we can stop doing it at all if we're fine that it's not working. And I think that that's the thing that we forget about process a lot is that it's iterative and we can change our minds at any time. People feel like a process proposal means, and this is how we'll do it forever and nothing will ever change. And I'm a big believer in probably whatever you start out with is not actually going to work because you're making a bunch of guesses. And if you're not continually learning from as that process is actually being used and making the necessary changes is probably just going to be dropped full stop. It almost sounds like you have to teach product managers about iterative processes and how you're going to adapt the process to what works for them and how the initial MVP of your process is not how it's going to end up. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Of any process as the first time it's adopted, it's an MVP. It's a, this is our best guess of what's going to work and solve the problems. And chances are in six weeks, we will realize that that is, is not the case. And I think that that's also where product a background in product management is useful, is that understanding that getting anyone to change their workflow is incredibly difficult. Even if you've reduced the number of clicks that it takes to achieve a task, people are going to fall back on what they've done in the past because that's what they remember and that's what's easy for them. It's the same thing in terms of building products of if this is the way that you've been operating, that muscle memory is there and having an easier, faster, simpler solution doesn't necessarily mean it'll be adopted because it's change. And we love the path of least resistance and we love avoiding friction. We've gotten used to the friction that we have right now. It's comfortable to us. We don't want to change. Yeah, that's exactly why I think sometimes product ops tries to bring new technology, new software, you know, a road mapping tool or something. And if you just bring the tool, it may be the best tool in the world. It doesn't work. You have to help people through that journey of change management. And it's not about bringing the, the best tool. It's about people, data, and processes that you put in the tool. Absolutely. As a PM, I've had various tools handed to me. Of We're using AHA now. In my case, with AHA, when I was a product manager at a previous company, everything that I worked on was about developer experience. I was actually a product manager for developers, and it didn't make any sense for me to track my work that way. But I kept being reminded, you need to put your initiatives in AHA, you need to update your work. And it was so frustrating for me of what works for one product manager isn't going to work for all product managers. And that was a much larger team. That was a team of 12 PMs. It's a little bit easier when you just have two PMs. But even then, you still need to get the buy-in of the head of the team and two people who may already have pretty strong ideas of the way that they want to do things. Yeah. Because if you add some extra work on top of a PM's workload, which apparently is already 60 hours, <laughs> they're not likely to do what you ask them to do. Exactly, exactly. That's what I see product operations doing of eliminating chaos and eliminating questions. So you talked about launch plans and it's always difficult as a product manager to exactly predict when a feature is going to be ready because engineering doesn't necessarily know. They don't necessarily want to commit as well. So the dates are often moving, as you know. <laughs> and so how do you manage that? What's the best way that you can be ready on your side with this level of uncertainty? 
I actually like the idea of thinking in terms of horizons rather than specific dates. And what I mean by that is one of the best tech leads I've ever worked with, which company is it that talked about thinking in bets? They had a huge controversy that they said that you weren't allowed to talk about politics or social issues at work. And then they had a massive exodus, but they talk about thinking in six-week bets. And I think when you have a strong engineering team that is good at thinking about, okay, I think that this amount of work will roughly fit into this timeline or this chunk of work will fit into this space. I think that you're more likely to succeed than if you say, well, we need to have this feature by a certain date. We don't know what the feature is going to be exactly, but we know we need it by this date. And I've seen that mistake happen over and over and over where the timeline is set for whatever reason. If there's a big marketing conference or maybe the marketing team wants to have it aligned with some other things coming out at the same time, and then handing that date to the product managers and the engineers and saying, okay, well, this is when this needs to be ready. And instead, I like to think, okay, well, we're going to need roughly this many sprints or this many weeks, but not tying it to a date. I was working on a project about migrating database columns from one type to another. We made a mistake in which type of column that we wanted to migrate from one to another. So that pushed our timeline back, but we had set a backup date. We're like, okay, well, we're pretty sure we're going to be able to hit this date. But if that doesn't go well, we'll have this backup date. So you mentioned the words launch plan. What exactly is your role as part of a launch? Because I can see engineering, delivering, putting things into production. I can see the product manager working on the messaging together with product marketing. What is your role in a launch as product ops? I think that there's the ideal and then there's the actual. I think the ideal in product operations is having a bird's eye view of the tracks of work that are necessary for a successful launch. The actual delivery of the engineering work, like you mentioned, the coordination between product and product marketing to develop the communications that will say, this is the value our product will provide to our customers. Getting the necessary demos to the support team so that they can update the documentation, letting the sales team know so that they can modify their pitches. So what would make your life easier? What can I do as a product manager to make your life easier? I think that what would be really helpful to me is the high level, what's changing, why is it changing? And to the extent that one can guess the general timeline of when it's changing that that date will necessarily be hit. But because product managers and engineers often work in software tracking tools like Jira, they want other people to go into Jira and try and navigate, okay, well, here's the progress of the Epic, or here's when this, you can check on the status of this ticket. Folks who don't spend their time in those tools really struggle to navigate it. And we all forget if we're not in Jira all day, every day, how difficult it is to navigate. And what I really want are screenshots of what it's going to look like, the high-level user flows, and what ideally the impact on the user and the business will be. And I want that all in one place. I don't want to go to 20 different documents to look at it. And ideally, you would have a product requirements document that covers those things. In what you mentioned, there is more than just product ops. It seems that you're touching product marketing a bit and it's on program management. Mm -hmm. Do you have people in your company doing product marketing and program management or do you do a bit of this? I would say I 
definitely do that. We do not have program managers and we have someone who touches on product marketing, but that's not his primary responsibility. He just happens to do it because somebody needs to do it. Yeah. So that's what I got from from what you said. So you're probably working many hours as well. (laughs) So on top of this role, you also write the content for users at Merit. Can you tell me a bit more about this organization and what you do there? Absolutely. Merit is a mentorship platform aimed at providing mentorship to underrepresented groups to help them thrive in tech. Anyone can sign up for Merit either as a mentor or as a member. That is someone who wants to receive mentorship. But we are really focused on helping folks who traditionally haven't had access to mentorship or professional networks, either because they have not joined organizations where that's built in for them or networking is just hard and it's really difficult to get a foot in the door and find a mentor in the first place. What I do is write content and I also do a little bit of work on the social media front, which isn't really my skill set, but somebody needs to do it. It's a small organization. Okay. So is it a mix of technical content and marketing content then? It's primarily marketing content. Good. So how did you get into this? What attracted you to do that kind of content? Because it's different from product operations. My background is in writing. I have a Bachelor of Arts in writing and a Master of Arts in Science writing. So writing has always been my great love, but I've never quite figured out how to join it with my work in tech. It's always been this kind of side thing. And I know one of the co-founders of Merit through a previous job. And it turns out that right as I was thinking about writing more on the side, he reached out to me to talk about becoming a mentor. And I said, oh, I'm not sure that that's the right fit for me, but hey, if you need someone to do writing... I'm available. And he said, actually, you know what? We need someone to do content marketing. And what has been really valuable for me is that I didn't have a mentor for much of my career in tech. And looking back on it, I really wish that I had had one. I had all of these inflection points in my career where I didn't quite know what I should do next or how to approach the problems that I was encountering. And if I had had someone to bounce ideas off of or say, this is what I'm experiencing. Is this normal? What should I be doing? Like most women in tech, I have faced imposter syndrome. I faced sexism and sexual harassment. And so many underrepresented groups do face difficult situations in their careers. In terms of your role writing content at Merit and also in product operations, are you responsible for managing the data? And you've got that background in data analytics as well. So can you tell me more about what data you're looking at and how you use it? Funnily enough, in my product operations work at Pico, I don't actually use the data all that much. And part of the reason for that is the director of product has a background in data and analytics at Spotify and Google, and the senior product manager has a background in data analytics at Palantir and at Lyft. So it's one of the things that I try to do as a product operations manager is if it seems like a product manager really has ownership over one of the functions that product operations might contribute to, I don't need to inject myself into every single aspect of product operations. In my work at Merit, I unfortunately have to spend a lot of time in Google Analytics, which I hate, but it's really helpful for me to be able to say, oh, we posted about this topic on this day and we saw a jump in traffic. Or I went to this community and shared this article and we saw an increase in readership. That aspect of 
the previous work that I've done where I've written a lot of SQL and I've done a lot of analytics. I used to live in Looker and breathe LookML, it, but it's something that I've kind of left behind as I've moved forward. A lot of my work in product operations is very much soft skills, qualitative changes, rather than these are the metrics that we're seeing in the product. About product operations, and because you mentioned Marty Kagan earlier, I went to one of the blog posts, which was about the fact that he doesn't like process people. And sometimes we tend to think that product operations are process people. So in your example, where you had a product manager managing the data and owning that, and you don't need to step in, do you think that product managers should be more involved in product operations? Or do you think there is really a need for a very separate product operations team, very strong with reasonable number of people owning that and just collaborating with product managers because product managers don't have time to deal with that. What is the good share of responsibilities on managing operations? That is a great question. I think it depends on the problems that the organization is experiencing. And some of that's pretty simple. When a organization reaches a certain size of product managers, you're more likely to have divergent processes because each product manager finds their way of doing things and all of a sudden teams are no longer mutually intelligible for process is helpful because I think what process does is it removes cognitive load or is there a roadmap and do I need to update it or what kind of information should I be communicating back to my stakeholders or how do I let other people know that there's been a change to the timeline, that's more work for the product manager to do. And ideally, product operations makes product managers' lives easier because they don't have those questions. Where do I find the right documentation? Where do I add this document? That's what I see product operations doing of eliminating chaos and eliminating questions. Thank you very much. And I have to say, based on my previous experience, I couldn't do without product operations because as you said, as the business scales, I, as a product manager, can identify the problems, the areas of frictions where we need new processes, new ways of working. But driving this on my own, on top of my product, is some additional workload, which I'm happy to help and contribute because that is going to make my life easier too. But leading all that discussion does require some other people. Great. So I've got a question for you from Randy Brown, who is the co-founder of Merits and leads the product and technology initiatives there. So let's listen to it. Hey, Rachel. Thanks for the time. I want to ask you, what's your preferred way that product managers communicate with you about upcoming product changes and launches? And how do you make sure that all those go smoothly? I think that In the era of remote work, there's been a lot of focus on asynchronous communication and providing updates through documentation so that you don't have to hop on a call. However, even though I work remotely and love remote work, I do like to build relationships with product managers. So what I like is a, hey, can we meet to discuss this upcoming change? We hop on a call and they share with me that document that I mentioned to you, whether you call it a product requirements document or a product release document or not necessarily second guessing decisions. Because I see people do that a lot when product managers share the work that they've done. They're like, well, have you thought about this? And I'm like, of course they've thought about this. They're product managers. That's their job. And more about oh, okay, so does that mean that the user is going to have to do this? Or, 
oh, it seems like in the MVP, we won't be doing XYZ. Will that come in a future iteration? And I think that a lot of that work can happen asynchronously via a Google Doc, but it is a chance for product operations and product management to work more closely together. Great. In this podcast, there is also a fun part at the end where I propose you several options and you pick one of them and you can elaborate on why you chose this one. Google Docs or Notion? Google Docs. Why? I actually really struggle with Notion. I think that it is so flexible that I almost want it to have more opinions. The fact that I can do almost anything with it when you add a new block is too many options for me. Google Docs, although I have many problems with Google Docs, particularly the fact that they don't show their organization in a left-hand navigation bar, which Notion does have, good job Notion. Google Docs for me is much simpler because I don't have so many controls and I think Notion is almost too flexible for me. Also, some other keyboard controls drive me up a wall. Doing control B should bold and unbold consistently and Notion does not do that. Hopefully some product managers from both Google and Notion listen to us. (laughs) Great. You mentioned you worked in different startups, pre-series A and post-series D. Which one did you prefer? Post-series D. I think that post-series or even post-series B companies, which I worked at a couple of those, there is a lot of work to be done, but a lot of the pain in a post-series D company has already happened. A lot of those scaling problems as you go up. For me, going from 20 to 30 employees is actually substantially more painful than going from 200 to 400 employees. Because at 200 employees, you have more repeatable processes for onboarding new people, creating new teams, adding people to those teams, having cross-functional communication. Yes, those things are still challenging. And as you get bigger, it gets a little bit harder. But going from the relative simplicity of only needing to communicate across 20 people to changing that to 30 people is actually way harder. Good. And you do content work and operations work. Which one do you prefer? Content. I am a writer at heart. And although creative writing is more focused on the craft and the art and content is more focused on the utility and driving a particular outcome, it's still writing. I bet you take into account podcasting as well. And hopefully people find it interesting. I hope so. I I really hope so. Particularly something like this, that's helping product managers understand what it's like to work with product managers. What is your final piece of advice for product managers who want to work better with product operations? Assume positive intent. It's very easy to think that someone who's suggesting that you use a different tool or change your workflow is trying to make your life harder or is adding work for the sake of work, or they want you to write more artifacts or do more check-ins. But again, the goal of product operations is to reduce guesswork and to reduce the amount of time, for example, with an artifact that you field questions. Because when you have a document, you can just send the link and say, okay, here, read this. And it's easy to think that product operations is here to add more work when really they're there to remove guesswork. This is a very good piece of advice. It does resonate with me and what I've witnessed in some organizations. So thank you for that. If people want to carry on the conversation with you, how can they reach out to you? I can be found on LinkedIn and I can also be reached at Twitter at 
R.K. Spurrier. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a very enjoyable conversation and I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it has enabled you to understand your stakeholder and inspired you to better work with them to make successful products. If so, please share the link with your friends and colleagues. And if you want to suggest some topics, some guests, if you have questions you'd like me to ask during the interviews, or if you have any feedback, you can write to me at magalipelissier at hotmail.fr.